This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. morning I had to text my D group and tell them that I needed to confess to them that after uh, engaging for the past few weeks uh, in preparation for this sermon uh, that I'd come to the conclusion that I'd missed a few things in repentance and just wanted to confess to them that as I've repented with them uh, and confessed sin to them uh, I've missed something that's critical And it's not something that's just pervasive in my life and probably not pervasive in your life and probably not pervasive in this church, but it's just something I need to share with them. And that is that sometimes I tend to get to a place where my confession time with my brothers sounds a bit more like behavioral modification rather than returning to God. This morning I want to talk to you about repentance I want to help us to define repentance in a biblical way, not with English definitions and grammatical decisions, but rather with biblical definitions. I want to look at the difference between behavioral modification, that is, changing how I act, and shifting to a different relationship with the world and with God. I want to talk to you about how we can desire God and it draw us away from sin. I want to look at how repentance, biblical repentance, really is a relational shift that creates a change in your heart, in your mind, in your actions. In 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. It's a constant state of what we wrestle with in this this life. Between hell and heaven, we have to wrestle with, am I angry at sin, frustrated at sin, wrestling with sin in my life? Or do I desire God, desire life with Him, desire to be changed and transformed into His image? Or do we see a healthy relationship between the two? I hope that by the end of the day, you're able to look at repentance and see a healthy relationship between rejecting the things that would draw me away from God and returning to God who has a very good image Uh, life, uh, living your life out, loving others in store for you. I don't want you just to reject sin. I want you to embrace God's grace, mercy, and love this morning. Now, I, I do hope that throughout today you're able to look into your heart as we did two weeks ago and go, man, there's some stuff in here I need to deal with. As I mentioned often, it's like an onion layer being peeled back. There's always something underneath it that you're wrestling with and looking at and going, God, what are you doing with me now? How are you changing me now? What do I need to wrestle through now? And I know most of you are like, I am so amped up about being at church and talking about sin. It's exactly why I come to church. 
Like, people are pumped. I mean, people are watching on YouTube and Facebook right now, like, clicking off, going, yep, church, sin again. Let's talk about it. But here's the thing. I don't want you to walk away this morning thinking this, man, I'm such a sinner. Here's what I'd like you to walk away knowing this. God desires you and desires a relationship with you. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. But, but, but God, who is rich in mercy. We look at these texts and we see that, man, if we walk, a day, walk away today and all we feel is regret and remorse, what we have done is slipped into 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, at the very end where it says, but worldly grief produces death. If you walk away thinking, you know, this morning, just, man, I'm just a sinner and I'm just awful, I'm worthless and all these different things. If that's how you walk away, here's what you haven't heard. That's going to lead to death. But what I'm telling you this morning is this. God loves you so infinitely, so much. He so loves you and desires a relationship with you that he was willing to give everything to draw near to you. And here's what he's asking of you. Are you willing to walk away from the things of this world to to return to him? He was willing to give up everything for you. Are you willing to give up everything for him? 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 tells us godly grief produces repentance. I'm not telling you that we shouldn't feel uh, just angst, frustration towards sin in your life and in my life. What I am telling you is that should draw us towards God, not away from Him. It shouldn't draw us towards good morals. It should draw us to a good God. You see what I'm saying? Hey, look. Cake tastes good. Y'all with me? You try to tell my daughter to eat zucchini instead of cake, she's eating cake. Zucchini's better for you. If I tell you to live by good morals, you're going to constantly slip back into those bad morals. Here's what I'm telling you. There's something greater. There's something better than cake. (laughs) Y'all feel me? There's something better. You're looking at sin in your life, you're going, I don't know, Matt. I kind of like this. I'm angry about it, but I kind of like it. I slip back into it. Jealousy, rage, envy, discontentment, lust, whatever it is. You slip back into it. Let me tell you something. God is greater. Hey, look, look, when you're driving (coughs) on your way to Hanover, Pennsylvania, you head up that way and you're like, man, I don't really want to go to Hanover, Pennsylvania. I don't like Hanover, Pennsylvania. I don't like anything there. It's Pennsylvania, number one. Uh, I just don't want to go to Pennsylvania. I'm going to turn it back around and go back to Westminster because I don't want to go to Pennsylvania. You turn away from Hanover and you go back to Westminster. That is different than if you are headed to Hanover, Pennsylvania and go, I love Westminster. I don't want to go. Hanover, you know, it's its own thing, but I love Westminster. Westminster is my home. It's my safe place. Like, I, I want to be there. It's everything that I love there. I want to show you today that just turning away from Hanover, just turning away from what you don't love, is not going to delight your heart. It's not going to satisfy what you crave. But when you find what your heart desires and what you crave and what satisfies that love and desire in your heart, you'll want to return to it every time. And so what I'm asking you today is to consider God to return to your first love, to return to the one who created you very good, knows you, created you, and, believe it or not, wants a relationship with you. 
Like everybody in here should, I mean, I feel like every time we say that, we should be like, oh, you know what I'm talking about? Like movie, like moment, just like, what? Like God wants a relationship with me. God loves you. I don't understand it sometimes. I'm just kidding. I love you. <laughs> no, but seriously, do you ever feel like, like, why does God love me? Or maybe your spouse. <laughs> you know? uh, why does God love this person that I struggle with so much? Hey, when we privatize our struggle, we privatize other people's struggle. When their struggle becomes public, we often shame them in their struggle because we privatize our struggle. You feel me? It's a rejection of God's grace and mercy when you privatize repentance. Let me say it again. We reject God's grace and mercy when we privatize repentance. Why? Because we don't recognize that the brother and sister beside us, everybody in this room, is like Paul, the chief of sinners. We all struggle. You all have sin. You all engage in evil things just like I did do and will do until God's good and gracious return and he comes back and he draws me out of this evil and wicked world. Hey, we're struggling. When we privatize our sin and we privatize our temptation, all we do is deny that each one of us has has experienced the same grace and mercy so we don't have to guilt each other and look at each other and go, man, you're a sinner. Instead, we look at each other and go, hey, me too. We're both struggling with this. Let's walk through it together. Let me tell you something. I experienced grace. You can too. Like that's much, that's a, that's a much more honest version of what grace does in our life. Hey, I see what you did is, hey, look, come on, come on. Jesus died for you because of that. You, you, ought, you ought not walk in the uh, guilt and the remorse and, and, and regret that you're walking in because you need to know something. We're all walking as sinners saved by the grace of God. We're in this together. Anybody that acts like they're not, Jesus is coming up and humbling you. Like, that's what we talked about in the last series. Now, now let me walk forward with you in this. We have two issues in our culture today. Here's the first issue. We are an individualistic society. I've talked to you about this before. If you have not been in here, uh, you can look it up. Our culture is individualistic. It used to be corporate. We needed each other. If you lived on a farm and five miles away was another farm and you didn't have any, uh, uh, any food, you depended on your brother and sister who are around you. You depended on others for food. Today, what do we depend on? Amazon. You know what I'm saying? You can get in one hour. It's not even food. It's just a hat you liked. Right? We don't need each other in our culture. I can live my life without you. They're literally building a, uh, a facility or like a, a place in, in, in the Middle East where they're going to they're gonna sustain themselves there together, corporately, united together, no cars. Uh, they're just working together to provide for one another. Unbelievable. They're going to depend upon each other over there. No outside resources needed. That doesn't even make sense to us. Like, what? Like, I got a few things in my garden that I can eat through the day, but it's going to last me like one day. You feel me? I need Walmart. <laughs> food line in particular, right? We got to go, go to the grocery store to get our four, we, uh, food. We can't provide for ourselves anymore. That's not how it always was. Guys, we got to remember, we, there, there, there's times where we depended on each other more than we depend on, on each other. Today, we become a very individualistic society. The second issue that has happened in our society, society is this, uh, especially within the church culture, is when we privatize our confession and repentance, it's often due to our uh, to our previous background in Catholicism or our push away from Catholicism. Because here's what happened. 
men and women would confess to a priest, and then that priest would take that confession to God. Now, Martin Luther, others, led us into a Protestant life. This is a Protestant church. We do things differently. We believe you have a relationship with God without me intercessing between you two. I don't have to get in between your relationship with you and God. You have a relationship with God, right? The only, the only one who's between you and God the Father is Jesus Christ, the Son, because he died on the cross that you might have access to the Father. Right? So that's different. But here's the problem. Sometimes what happens is we push back so far that what we've done is we've said, okay, I don't need somebody else for repentance. I don't need somebody else for confession. Therefore, I'm going to privatize it. It's just my confession, my repentance with God alone. The problem is, it's not biblical. It makes sense when we push back against uh, uh, what we experience, what we don't like, what we experience is it creates problems in the church. The problem is it's not biblical because biblically we ought to confess sins one to another. Biblically we are called to repent together. In fact, one writer would say this. Mark Boda would say that repentance is the key posture of a community. It's the key posture of a community that is preparing itself for transformation by Jesus Christ. You see, if you look biblically, just go biblically and look in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you look biblically, what you're going to find is uh, that communities, countries, would repent and turn to God. It, it didn't really shift into the New Testament. In fact, Paul would write, Peter would write, John would write, uh, Jesus would challenge the church to repent. Look at Revelation 1 through 3. That's all it is. Hey, church, you need to repent. Look at Paul's writings to Corinth. Church, repent. Sometimes, very rarely, he calls out individuals, which is, gets a little hairy there, right? Uh, but anyways, usually he calls out corporate units, right? Church, repent. What would it look like if our entire church repented together? Like, that is opposite everything that our culture communicates, right? Let me be me. Let me deal with my struggle. I got this. I don't need to tell anybody else. It's between me and God. My struggle is between me and God. No, it's not. You're the bride of Christ. You're going out there and painting a picture of who Christ is just like I am. We're in this together. We link arms together and we fight a battle together. Jesus Christ told us to in Ephesians 4 through 6. We are fighting together. We are not alone. You're the bride of Christ that Christ died for. This is a corporate unit. You're the church. Jesus didn't die for individual alone. He died for the church, the bride of Christ. He loves the church. The way you become part of the church is by faith, not by sacraments, not by Catholic means. I understand that. But there is by something, and it's by faith. By faith, we became a body. We're one together, united together. But why do we privatize repentance and confession? Because we fear it. We fear confession and we fear repentance because we don't understand grace and mercy. The primary term in the Old Testament used for some form of repentance. You're not going to see the word repentance a lot in the Old Testament, but what you do see a lot is the word shub. It reminds me of my friend Shuby, who's in the back. Can't help it every time I hear it. So you can think about Shuby. Everybody say, hey, Shuby. Yeah, what's up, man? Uh, so shub is a Hebrew term. It means to return or it means to turn, right? So we're thinking shub means to return or to turn. It's used... Like, get this, it's the 12th most used word in the Old Testament. Think about how big the Old Testament is. We're talking, like, think about all the other terms that could be used. Return and turn is used 12th most. If you look at your vocabulary, there's no way turn is used the most. Unless you're like an Uber driver or something like that, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but look, think about this. 
turn is used so much in Scripture, but what do we think about when we think about repentance? Turn away from sin. But I want to ask you a question. If turn and return is used 12th, 12th most in Scripture, who do you think it's used of? Not just us. It's used of God. Look at Jeremiah thirty-one nineteen. After my return, I felt regret. After I was instructed, I struck my thigh in grief. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Did you see what happened there? After my return, that's that word, shub. After my return, I felt regret. What do we, what do we normally think about with repentance? Regret, return. Turn away from evil. Regret, return. The way Jeremiah sets it up, return, regret. Why? Because there's something about when you draw near to God that he shows you what you are doing and what you ought not to do. There's something about when we're drawing near to God and saying, God, show me in my heart what is filthy. Show me in my heart what I ought not to be doing. And he's revealing that to us. Now, here's the cool thing. Scripture doesn't prescribe it one way or the other. It allows you to have both. There's sometimes where we're returning to God and we're going, God, show me. Sometimes we get so prideful and so arrogant in our walk with Christ that we go, man, I've got everything all together. Look, keep on returning to God and return to God and go, hey, show me that uh, next onion layer. Show me that next level of sin that, that I didn't know was in my heart. Reveal that to me. And all of a sudden, returning to God is showing us what we ought not to be doing. But then sometimes, 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly grief produces repentance. Sometimes we see that sin in our life, and it's producing repentance in our hearts. And we're going, man, I don't want to be living in this, so I'm going to return to my God. See, when you think about repentance, we think about turn away from God. But where there it's for godly grief uh, ought to lead, ought to produce repentance. Godly grief ought not to, to, to create moral change. Godly grief isn't creating like behavioral modification. Godly grief draws you near to the Lord. We have to be so careful there. If godly grief alone is creating behavioral modification, then we'll miss God entirely. Because get this, think about this. Shub, the word, is used of God, returning to man. If repentance means turning from sin, then what we're saying is God turns from sin to us. It doesn't make sense. Instead, what does repentance mean? What does true biblical Old Testament-oriented repentance mean? Restoring a relationship. Turning back to God. God turning back towards us. Think about it this way. We're turning from sin. God's turning from wrath. And in the middle, relationship. That's what true biblical repentance is all about, and we got to be careful that we don't make it about behavioral modification. Rather, it's about restoring a broken relationship. After Jeremiah 20, uh, sorry, uh, 31 tells us about this returning to God and then finding sin in our lives, we see 2 Corinthians tell us that we find sometimes sin in our lives which draws us into returning to God. They work together wherever you are, no matter what you're facing. See kind of how God is using that ultimately to draw you near to Him. That's what I ask you for. Just see where you are in this journey and how God is drawing you near to Him. I think about this often, how repentance is internal, but it's also external. Have y'all ever thought about that? 
Let's talk about returning to God. Returning to God is both internal and external. In Matthew, Jesus would tell us to look at our hearts, not just our actions. In Luke, it would tell us that uh, what we store up in our heart is ultimately going to come out of our mouths. It's going to be something that's produced. The way you talk is often an indicator of how you think and what your heart desires and loves. What you talk about most often is often what your heart and desire longs for. Right? God knows that. Recognize that. So recognize that. So it's an internal change that affects an external action. So we see that repentance or returning to God, it, it happens internally throughout Scripture. We can see places like Romans 6.17. We can see Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Or we can look at James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, which tells us to cleanse our hands but also purify our hearts. We see this internal change happening within us. But we also have that external change, right? One of my favorite stories of repentance is from Jonah. If you haven't read the book of Jonah, read it. It's only four chapters. You can finish in a couple minutes, right? Read the book of Jonah. It's unbelievable. Here's what happens. In the first chapter, nobody expects for Nineveh to repent. God tells a guy to go and, uh, his name's Jonah, to go and preach, uh, prophesy that the people should repent from their sin and turn to God, return to God, right? So he's going to go preach this message. Nobody expects Nineveh to repent, to return to God. Nobody expects it, especially Jonah. Jonah is going to disobey God. Why? Because he thinks the same thing is going to happen to him that, everybody, that happens to everybody else that goes to Nineveh. They're a ruthless nation. They kill people. Like, that was what they did. They were, they were just vicious people over there. So he's like, I'm not going over there. So go somewhere else. He's trying to go down on a ship to go to Tarshish instead. Running from because he doesn't believe that repentance is going to happen. He doesn't believe repentance is going to happen. God has another plan. Chapter 3, he goes and preaches because God, you know, wakes him up a little bit, which God often does to us. And in Jonah 3, this is what it said. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles. And when it says that, does anybody else like see in those movies, like when they open up those big decrees? <laughs> That's what I see every time. I just, By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. Like, that's just already just awful. Wait, can you imagine if the president of the United States was to say, man, I'm going to get taken off of Facebook and YouTube now? Uh, sorry. Uh, can you imagine if the President of the United States was to say to you, you can't eat or drink anymore? You know what I'm saying? What would you do? I actually don't answer that. We're on the We're live. <laughs> um, anyways, he says, don't eat or drink any water. You can't eat water. He says, don't eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. Did you see that? God may turn. Y'all with me? That's the word. Shub. God may turn and relent from his burning anger so that we will not perish. It's unbelievable. Nobody expects Nineveh to turn, to return to God. And they do. And they're hoping that God would what? Turn to him. Turn to them. The people turning to God, God turning to them. Eventually God does. Jonah gets frustrated about it and jealous about it and he's repent in his own way and return to God. It's an unbelievable story of repentance, returning back to God. But I love what's in the middle of it because actually I don't know if I love it so much. It's more as it's just fascinating to me. Can you just imagine the moment where you're not eating, 
any food. You're hungry. You're not drinking any water. You're thirsty. Everybody's like, at this point, hangry and thirsty, right? You're covered in sackcloth, which is unbelievably uncomfortable, and you sit down in ashes. That's where they are. Y'all aren't as fascinated as me about this situation, apparently. Picture these chairs as ashes, and you're wearing sackcloth, and nobody's drinking water or eating food. Are you telling me you wouldn't be miserable in that moment? But they did it for a purpose. They did it because they were preparing themselves for whatever God had for them. Sometimes in our lives, our repentance is simply an internal change. Sometimes it's an external thing that we do to prepare ourselves as we return to God. Sometimes it's getting away and getting in isolation and going, God, show me what's going on. Sometimes, as in Nineveh, they do things that put them in a position of turning back towards God. They're not the only ones. 1 Kings 21, 27, Esther 4, 1 through 4, Jeremiah 6, 26, and Ezekiel 27, 30 through 31 are also examples of people doing things, actions that are external to show there's an internal thing happening and that they're willing to let God do the process of changing their hearts. In Luke 24, verse 47. Jesus is telling uh, his disciples what they will do as he's leaving them. He says, Repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now we have to be careful here because repentance uh, repentance for forgiveness of sins, if repentance is simply turning away from sin, now turning away from sin saves you. If repentance is returning to God, then a right relationship with God, crying out to God and clinging to Him for forgiveness of sin, is what saves you. We have to be careful that we aren't just doing behavioral modification, changing what we do in order to be saved. Rather, cling to the one who has done what is necessary for you to be saved. You see the difference there? We're not working away from our sin. We are being drawn to our God. Paul tells uh, in his sermon to Agrippa, in Acts 26 verse 18, it says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. Darkness to light. Power of Satan to God. If all you're doing in your modification of sin in your life, behavioral modification, is turning away from sin, you're not going to find strawberries and go, they're better than cake. What I'm asking you to do is look to God and say it's better than sin. He is greater. His grace is sweeter. His love is better. His mercy is richer. Like He is better than your greatest day in sin. Draw near to the Lord and He will draw near to you. James 5. There's two words 
in uh, Greek that we often translate or think about as repentance. I'm going to give those to you and give you a, a challenge as you walk out of here. The first is metanoia. It's really a changing of your mind. Think different. This is the one that's most often translated as repentance. It's changing, changing mind, but we often think about it as turning away from evil or turning away from bad. But there's a second word, and it reads like this, epistrepho. It's a Greek word that means to return or to turn. Epistrepho is used more often than metanoia, but not always for the, the idea of repent. Rather, it's like shub in the Old Testament. It means to return to something. Sometimes it means, you know, Moses was traveling and he returned back, right? Sometimes it means God turned back to his people. Sometimes it means God's people turned back to God. Regardless, it means something like to turn back or to return to God. We see epistrepho in Acts 11, verse 21, where it says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Isn't it fascinating? It says, A large number who believed turned to the Lord. It doesn't say, A large number who believed turned away from their sin. Sometimes we see that in Scripture. But I think what we have to see here and hold on to and cling to is that when belief happens, it's a turning to God, not just away from sin, but to God. And I know I keep saying that, and it's because I know that there's going to be a time where you're going to feel like the Christian life is just like, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing that. We start looking at Scripture as just don't, 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 instead of what do we do? Like the church just, just like hammers with like, don't do this, don't do that. But what does life in Christ look like? They believed and turned to the Lord. First Peter 2, 25. For you were like sheep going astray. Just like Isaiah 53, right? You're hearing that right there. Isaiah 53. We should expect something like return coming. Just like sheep going astray. But you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, Peter wants us to hear that. He wants us to see that what what we're doing in returning or repenting towards God is we're coming back to the shepherd and overseer. We're coming back to the good shepherd, the one who cares for our hearts and cares for our lives and desires what is good for us. We see Paul preaching in Lystra as he... Acts 14, 15, when he says, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you, and we are proclaiming good news to you. What is that good news? That you turn from these worthless, worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. What does Paul want them to see? Worthless living things in this world. And turn to what? The God of the universe who created everything. He wants them to recognize that what they're following after is worthless, but that God is immense and great, and that there's so much more goodness in following after God than in following after this world. It's not even comparable. His incomparable riches, as Romans 13 would tell us. So when we look at Scripture, we've got to make sure that we're not looking at just turning away from something that is evil, but we're turning to the greatest thing we could ever embrace and find this side of heaven. We have hell and heaven. You can either look at hell or find heaven, and repentance is essentially look back at heaven. Keep your eyes fixed on the, the Creator, the author and perfecter of your faith. Like Keep your mind set on God who is seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand. Keep your mind on Jesus. Return back to the Father.
My prayer for you would be, as Paul would pray for the church at Philippi, as he says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is working in you. We are in the process of drawing near to heaven. Don't fall back into hell. That's like in a nutshell why we return to God. We, the more we draw near to hell, the more we realize how good heaven is. But sometimes we desire that cake again. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we're like, no, 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 it's better. It's good. That's, that's what I want. But God knows what you need. God knows what is good. And finally, I, I want to give you the right process for restoring back to God. And, and look, I know that there's like no Bible verse that tells you like, do this, then that, then that, then that, then that, and you'll be healed of all, like free of sin, because it's all in Jesus. Freedom and forgiveness comes from Jesus, not because of a process. But if I could look at what the Spirit is doing in our lives to change us, here's how I see what God is doing in our lives to change us. We are recognizing sin in our life. The Spirit helps us. God's Word helps us and God's people help us to see sin in our life. We're repenting, or a better way of saying it might be, we're returning to God. After recognizing sin, returning to God. We're re-envisioning what glory might look like. As we look at heaven, we're going, wow, that looks a lot better than hell. I want that. We're re-envisioning what glory looks like for our life coming out of the pit of hell and the destruction that is created in our life and in our relationships around us. Looking at heaven going like, I want that. Re-envisioning glory. We're renewing our minds and our hearts. We're, we're changing the way we think. We're changing what we love and, and change, changing our actions. We're rechaining actions so that now what we think and what we believe and want and what we do is matching up to who we are in Christ Jesus. And the way by which we do this is similar to, and I can't help but do it because I love coffee. Anybody else love coffee out there? Yeah. I love coffee. I like making coffee. A bunch of different ways to make coffee. One of the ways you can do it is uh, by uh, a pour-over, right? You have a filter, you have coffee grinds in there, and you pour hot water over it, and it brews this beautiful, delicate batch of coffee. In that process, you have a filter that filters out what you don't want in that beautiful, delicate sip, right? Let God's Word be like the filter. You see, because when we're going through returning to God or what we might say is repentance towards God, when we're going through that process, you're going to have three things speaking into your life. Let them speak into your life. You're going to have God's Word speaking in your life. You're going to have God's Spirit speaking in your life. Praise be to God that He speaks in our life. You're going to have God's people speaking in your life. Praise be to God that God's people care enough about you to speak into your life. This is not a private matter. This is a community matter. We do this together. Confess your sins to one another. Right? James 5 would tell us. So as we're, doing, as we're going through this process together, we have to make sure, though, that God's Word is the filter by which God's Spirit and God's people are speaking through. Because here's the deal. When God's people speak to you, but it is not matching up to God's Word, then they are speaking from man's perspective, not from God's perspective. When God's Spirit is speaking to you and it's not matching up with God's Word, that's not God's Spirit. It's your conscience. Or your tummy growling, is what sometimes I think. We got to make sure that what we see, what we hear from people and from God's Spirit matches up with God's Word. And once that beautiful, delicate cup of coffee comes out, we're sipping that through the day. That is what warms our heart. 
It's what pushes us towards growth. It's what gets us going through the day. Like it's what God is doing in our life as He pours into our hearts His Word, His Spirit, and His people overflowing into our hearts to transform us into what God has called us to be as we look towards heaven and draw near to it by returning back to God. So I want you to do something. Now, this is sort of the sackcloth and ashes thing. This is, you know, this is a process in our heart that sometimes we just need to go through, visually see. So I want, uh, they're going to pull up on the screen this, uh, this picture of what uh, is outside. As you walk out, there's going to be some things you can take with you. Uh, they're going to show you how to walk through the process of returning to God in a biblical manner. We might not have that on the screen. You got that, that picture? There it is. Awesome. Thank you so much. So as you walk out, you can grab this piece of paper. It's just a half sheet. And you can draw your own, get your notebook, whatever you want. But I just want to help you process through this. So what we're going to do is in the middle, I want you to write out that sin in your life. Not a temptation. Matthew 4, 1, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is the potential to sin. Otherwise, Jesus sinned and he didn't. Okay, so we're not writing our temptation, we're writing our sin. We can look at temptations outside of that. So we're writing our sin right here in the middle, and we're looking at what God's Word speaks into that sin. Right, so we did this a little bit two weeks ago in recognizing. Now I want you to write in there, what is God's Word saying about returning to God due to this sin? How, what's the process look like? What is God, I think he's, what God's Word's always going to be doing is this. It's going to be showing you how wicked it is, that sin, but it's also going to be showing you how beautiful God's grace is. That's what God's Word is constantly doing. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to write everything that God's Spirit has spoken into your life about that sin in your life. What has God's Spirit just been working in you and doing and revealing to you? And again, it works center out because we're not letting anything come back to us that is not from God's Word. So Spirit into our hearts. What is God's Spirit speaking to you? And then finally, what are God's people speaking? What is God's church speaking into your heart and your life? I want you to take a piece of paper and just write them all out. Because there's times you're going to fall back into that struggle and you're going to be like, man, I'm just getting back into it. You're going to need to pull this paper out. You're going to say, this is what God's Word says about this. This is what God's Spirit says about this. This is what God's... And just pouring it over your heart. Saturating your heart. Now here's what I know. When we're doing this process, there's godly grief. Like I told you, worldly grief leads to death. Godly grief leads to repentance. When we're going through this process, Jeremiah 31, 9, when we return to God, it's that grief, that frustration towards sin. I understand that's going to be welling up in your life. When we do this privately, it feels like there's this sin that we, we, we're going through grief and we can't tell anybody about it. It's debilitating. As we're going through sin and we, and, we, and, we, and we wrestle with this and we write these things down, sometimes we actualize that, we put it on paper, we're actually able to visually see it, it becomes a struggle for us because now we're stepping into that grief. And I want to encourage you to bring it into a godly grief, a grief that understands freedom and forgiveness, that doesn't privatize it because of fear of rejection, but rather understands we're all sinners and we're working at this together. But as you look at this reality in your heart, this sin struggle in your heart, 
and this portion of hell that still lingers in your heart, as you wrestle with that internally, I want you to remember something because you're going to step into a grief that you don't want to be in, to confess, to draw near into because you've been, you've been trying to isolate it or you've been trying to push it away or maybe you've been trying to overcome it and you can't and you're just frustrated in it or maybe you're giving into it and you're just in a point in your life where you're just like, I can't stand it. Now you're making me look at it. This wickedness in my life, I don't even want to talk about it, Matt. I'm so angry. I'm so jealous. I'm so envious. I'm so discontent. I'm so frustrated with everything around me. I yell at everybody. I hurt everybody around me. I've been so addicted to porn. I've been looking at people in the wrong way. I've been treating people the wrong way. Whatever it is. You're right now in the middle and you're like, man, Matt, I, I didn't come to church today to hear about how much I'm a sinner. I want you to hear these words. Ephesians 2, 3 through 5. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Y'all, verse 3 tells us we are all living among these fleshly desires in the middle of heaven and hell. And as we wrestle with these things, we are at war with the flesh, with the sin struggle in our hearts. We're all at war. We're all looking at this paper going, man, I can't believe I am still wrestling with that in my life. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Y'all, think about this. Think about this. Every time you wrestle with temptations and sin struggles, flip that paper over. I want you to write, but God. Because no matter what's on that side of the paper, remember, but God. As you're frustrated, but God. As you're angry, but God. Because the sweetness of God's mercy is greater than the wrath of hell. It is. If hell scares you, look at the goodness of God. It's much better. Turning away from sin is all you've ever done. Behavior modification is what you've been about with the Christian life. Look to God. He is much greater than just changing behaviors. As the worship team comes, I'm going to ask you to walk away today processing through what maybe you need to do physically or internally to put yourself in a position of returning to God. So here's what I mean. Some of you in here today might need to reveal a hidden credit card. Maybe you need to delete an app. Maybe you need to stop driving by the same store on your way to home. Take a different path. Maybe you need to meet with somebody and ask for forgiveness or forgive them. Maybe you need to take a week away, a weekend away, and be away from everybody and with the Lord. Solitude, simplicity in prayer. Saying, God, restore me. I am returning to you, God, show me what I need to weed out of my life. What needs to get out of my life that I might return to you. You're in that Jeremiah 31 9 process, and you're looking at it going, Man, I, I want to return to you, God. 
and he's revealing that struggle in your heart. Maybe some of you are in that Second Corinthians 7.10 process and you are you have grief, you have struggle, you have godly grief in your heart right now, and you're going, I want to return to God. Maybe you just need some time to do that. What do you need physically or internally? What do you need to do? Like the Ninevites sitting down in sackcloth and ashes, what do you need to do to put yourself in a position where you say, God, I need you. And I want to return to you. I don't want to just change my actions. I want to know the God of the universe. That's what we're all about. If you came to church today thinking, man, I'm going to hear about how much of my sinner and how I need to change, you're wrong. Here's what I'm going to tell you. God loves you. That's the gospel message. Yeah, we all sin. Anybody can talk about that. The good news? Jesus saved us. That's the good news. So will you join our church? Not privatize confession and repentance, but together, all thinking about, I'm extending you the same kind of grace that I hope you extend to me. Because God has saved both of us. God sees you pure. Therefore, I ought to see you pure too. Let's grow together. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm just going to ask you during this prayer time to just be thinking through, have you returned to God? Are you returning to God? Are you just trying to change behaviors? Are you trying to change how you live? Or are you drawing near to the God of the universe? Let me pray for us. Father, show us in our hearts the things that we do that we ought not to do. Show us the things that we should do that we haven't been doing. But more than anything, God, draw us near to you. Because we don't want to live without you, whether it's doing good things or bad things. We long for you, God, and not just for good behavior modification. God, cleanse my heart. Purify my hands. Work in this church. Cleanse us. Change us as a group, God. Draw us as a community into repentance, returning to you, seeking after you, God. And Father, as we do, will you grant this church a a grace towards one another that only you can give because you've already given it to us individually. God, would you give us a grace-filled church that allows for growth and transformation that can only be found because of your freedom and forgiveness. Pray that you would work in each one of our hearts right now in this moment to draw us near to you. We love you, Father, in your Son's name. Amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.